Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast studio in Stoneville. Tom, you jumped the gun. I'm going to leave that on there. Leave it on there. That's beautiful. (laughs) My apologies. This morning, we're going to talk about, I guess, a variety of things. We're kind of in no man's land on time of year, on field operations, finishing up cotton harvest for sure, and then the the later stuff here and there. A lot of field work has been done. So different decisions really being made right now for next year. So we got Corey back with us, and then Brian Mills is on the phone. For those of you that didn't know, Brian now lives in Starkville. So, Brian, thank you, man, for calling in this morning. Thanks for having me. Corey and I were talking yesterday afternoon, shotgunning conversation, a bunch of different topics, and so we kind of hatched this idea for doing a podcast. And so we're going to talk about some fall fertilizer and knowing that we're a little bit late on that, but definitely still some cotton harvest going on, so opportunities there. And then, of course, having Brian here, he can always give us a good economic slant on it. Corey, a question I had, I, I thought about this walking across the yard this morning after I pulled up, and I know you have firsthand experience with this. You may even be sore this morning. How much does one square bale of corn straw weigh? So it depends on how tight you pack the bales. <laughs> um <laughs> So some of some of them we, we tossed yesterday were, um, I don't know, 15, 20 pounds maybe. They were pretty light, but they didn't stay together very well. And uh, we, we get to rebale those. They're still in the field. I'd be interested to know how many how square many, bales you can toss in an afternoon. Maybe that was the better question. How many trailer loads did you pull? Because I was out there watching you all for the bulk of the afternoon while I was cutting some plots in the general vicinity. And I didn't count the number of trailer loads, but I'm pretty sure it was more than six, but it probably was less than ten. I, th- I think it was around six, five or six trailer loads. They weren't stacked very well. We, we did move probably around 550, 550 bales yesterday. Were they, did they not stack well because of the qualifications of the baler operator or because it was corn straw? I uh, think the, the qualifications of the Baylor operator, that was definitely. <laughs> I would have said it was just the number of individuals in the small military regiment that he had out there to actually load those onto the trailer and unload them into the dump field. That it was just to get this done onto the trailer and yeah. get it out of here type situation, not how can we put those on there methodically. Yeah. Don't talk bad about my people now. No, I, 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 I was like, <laughs> boy, if I wasn't cutting, I'd probably be doing that. I'm like, I think I'm happy cutting right now. I, I got to take them to the racket club for lunch today. So Brian's sitting over there, have no idea what, <laughs> what we're talking about, it, and nobody else does either. So just take take a second, Corey, and tell them what you're talking about. Most of my fields here on the station, the fertility is, is way too high for me to do good fertility work, uh, get responses out of. So it's like I need to drop those levels, and to drop the levels, I got to get the biomass off the field. Uh, you know, get all the residue off. Corn's the easiest one to, to do that with. And the, the only equipment I could come up with to do that was a square baler. So we went out, harvested, shredded all the stalks, raked it up. And I was thinking, oh, we're going to have three to four bales per pass. And I, I believe we averaged 11 to 12 bales per pass. <laughs> 
<laughs> on like 47 or 48 passes in the field. Rough math, just kind of guessing on weights of bales, average weight. I think we pulled about 10 tons of corn residue off that field. <laughs> That's what, like an 8 to 10 acre field? I believe so, yeah. We're the part we had corn in. Okay. For me, the obvious question last week when Corey told me this was, hey, where'd you get a baler? Because uh-huh. so, he not only had a he not only comes up with a baler, he comes up with a baler, a hay rake, and a cutter, mower, whatever. So I'm not up on my hay lingo. So do you actually have those? They're yours now, or did you borrow them? I, I borrowed them, um, but after I borrowed the hay rake and I took it back to the ARS and I was unhooking it, they were like, whoa, 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 no, no. The agreement was if you borrowed it, you kept it. We don't want it take, anymore. Take it to your house. <laughs> you could, then don't don't get rid of that because there's some places I may need to do something similar to that. Well, I, I know where they are. If and, I, and I'm getting better on operating it. I can teach it's, someone. If you nose around around here enough, yeah. it is phenomenal what you can find. Still hadn't found a mudboard plow. That's because there's not one. Uh, which is a, we got rid of that thing about 15 years ago. Which Tom. is just a tragedy. <laughs> I would actually like to buy one. That's on my list to get. Well, there's not many moving parts on one, so it can't cost that much. It's just a matter of can you find one small enough that we have a tractor that's big enough to pull it. Most everything you can find is like a four or five. Yeah, a sixty-four thirty will pull a four bottom, it, at least in the sand of South Georgia. It's, Silt loam. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. Deer Creek silt loam may be different. Yeah, it may need bigger. Corey, so you were on with us a few weeks ago, and we talked predominantly about soil sampling, but we did touch a little bit about fall fertility. And since we're in, as Jason so pointed out, the no man's land period in the year, and we're still finishing some field prep up, what do we need to consider then from a standpoint of timeliness where we're at when it comes to fall fertility and taking advantage of some of the ability that you can do now as related to prices economically but talk specifically about fall fertility issues that you're getting telephone calls on right now just a a little recap as i said you know last time i I do like our, our fertilizers in the spring but i understand logistics manpower all of that some of it does have to go out in the fall if we are in a situation where we need some of our fertilizer to go out in the fall we do still have time um there's not a major rush on that looking through the the you know 15 day forecast i i don't think there was any rain or any rain to speak of in there um i haven't checked it this morning but you know so that's not an issue from talking with Jason, uh, it, it sounds like none of or, or very little of our fall burndowns have gone out. So if we're still needing to make a fertilizer application this fall, we're not having to worry about breaking that herbicide barrier. We can still get on the field. The, the biggest issue I, I've had a lot of calls about here recently has been liming. A lot of our dealers, at least around Greenville, are having issues getting lime in. Part of that is because of the the river stage. The river is so low when they can get a barge in, it's like a half load uh, is what I've been told. So they're they're not getting the full amount in. And then basically by the time it gets to the port, it's spoken for. I talked with a dealer just the other day that that said that for two weeks they've been told we've got a barge coming 
and you know next week and then they get to next week it's going to be next week uh that barge was spoken for we're not real sure where it's going it you know maybe going to the highway department on the bypass but that is an issue but you know we do still have time for lime uh like i said we do want that out in the fall so it has the maximum amount of time possible to get in the soil and, and work and, and do what it's going to do. We've got time, and the, the later we get, there is still time for those very fine particles to work and do some adjustments. We're just not going to get those drastic adjustments. You know, if, if we're needing to go from a 5.5 five to a 6.5, the longer we're waiting, we may not get to 6.5 by planting of soybeans next year. But we could get to like a, a six and by middle of the season or so be to a six five. Um, so, so we have time there. There's just a lot of factors out of our control on, on that lime. I haven't heard about it for the, the fertilizer, but I'm sure the river's having the same effect on it, trying to get some in. And if the river doesn't get back up, who knows how long that could last for us. Well, there's certainly a bunch of barges tied up along the banks you know when you cross the river at greenville Corey kind of lump your stuff in with mine with fertilizer with what you said later is better all the way up to the point of after a crop emergence with potash and of course we've said that tom when we did the the fall herbicide later is better up to the point of practicality and i think the practicality works into both of those the logistics and all things considered decision about when that actually goes on but then lime earlier is better so of the stuff that you're going to be injecting into the system this time of year on towards planting the lime would be the one that if you could get it out earlier would be better right definitely so and and with the lime too that needs to be incorporated mechanically incorporated so we are running into an issue with growers dry weather they they have tractors you know hippers tillage equipment running like crazy getting ahead because we all know once the rain starts when when's it going to stop well particularly this time of year tom and i've talked about this a couple different times in relation to the herbicides at the time that we were having those conversations it was more late summer conditions and i think we're definitely fall now and, and in at the end of october that rain may be the rain and you don't know that it is but it could be and so it's probably better to go ahead and shoot your shot while you can instead of waiting you know if it's first october you got a chance that it might dry back up but first november it might not ever dry back up right but if you really need lime on that field and you're betting and you think there's a chance you can get lime and get it out there, you're going to have to go back over it with with a disc, a field cultivator at a minimum, something to mix it in with the soil. Well, would it be accurate to, we're just probably just about down to cotton ground at this point on that? I would say that's pretty accurate. Hopefully our growers would be, you know, beans and corn, those, those have been out for the most part. Hopefully our growers that needed lime on that ground were able to get it and to to get it out. And then with the cotton, as soon as you can get it out and you can get lime if if you need it, you know, get it out. And then get the value you can get out of an an application for next year because you're not going to get the full value of it. Right. Also with that, 
if, if we get a rain on that pile of lime, I'm I'm not saying it's going to make it bad, but you're going to lose some of your neutralizing value if, if that pile gets rained on. If you bought some, I mean, if you got top-of-the-line lime and you're, you know, 97, 98, 99% relative neutralizing value and it calls for two tons and you're like, I can put two tons out. If you let it sit and get a rain on it, you're going to lose some of that value. It's hard to say exactly how much value, but, you know, you're not going to be putting out that 97, 98%. You may be putting out 92, 93%. If you're a farmer and you have it on the field in a pile as quick as your your applicators can get it out there, get it spread and get it worked in. Brian, sitting here at the end of October, how do our economic decisions work into these discussions? I mean, so we've got applications have been made for next year's crop, and, and then we'll have applications that go out in the springtime. So thinking about P and K more so than, than nitrogen on our corn, cotton, and rice acres. So how does economics factor into these conversations? First thing, you got to kind of budget out what you're going to need. You need to make sure, you know, what's going to be economical for your system, whatever you're growing, you need to make sure, have those soil samples, they're going to tell you how much you're going to need, but making sure you understand that where your break-evens are. So you have to budget out all this stuff. This is kind of that time of the year where you can sit down and, and do all that kind of work. I know a lot of people don't like to because it's kind of boring. You're sitting at the computer, but it's really important just from a management perspective is, is sitting down and actually figuring out what all these costs are going to be, um, kind of figuring out those break-evens and, and what you can apply um, and how you're going to be able to essentially make money for this next year. Corey, since we talked so much about soil sampling last time, I think the one conversation that I tend to have, and at least more so from the nematode soil sampling perspective is I think a lot of people consider the costs associated with those as dollars that they're just pushing out the door and they don't look at maximizing profits associated with that because essentially you spend those dollars you look at that but your potential return on investment associated with that because you're looking to see what's present in the soil Brian from your standpoint when it comes to the economics associated with looking at what those return on investments are associated with fertility, what would you say to a producer about the need for soil sampling? I mean, I think we've kind of seen in general that if you soil sample, you're able to get a more accurate application rate, and that's always going to help and pay off, right? You're, you're going to get your yields that you're expecting because you're not having those deficiencies. Soil sampling in general has always been a pretty good method of, of making money. It's usually pretty profitable, especially... Um, when fertilizer prices are high or even when, you know, crop prices are high, both of those are going to impact how profitable that, that soil sampling in. But it, it is. But in general, it's going to be pretty profitable to do that. Well, well, like Corey pointed out, it's $10 per soil sample. Right. There's more associated with that cost because it does have the potential to maximize your return for the next season. Right. Yeah. And it, it can, you know, it can kind of compound, right? It's a, if you're pulling, you can apply some and it's going to impact that next year, right? If you don't apply enough this year, then you can be even more off the next year. And so you have this sort of compounding effect. So at $10, you can stretch it a couple of years and it just, the benefit is going to increase just in soil sampling. And the same thing kind of with, I mean, talk about lime, 
plan that vacation, right? You apply, you're not applying it every year. You get those benefits over a couple of years and it can kind of impact your other fertility needs as well. Another thing you get out of that, Tom, is having that information available, right? We had mentioned when we were brainstorming this episode that when the prices are high, we have guys that, based on their soil test, choose to either cut back on the rate to a maintenance rate rather than a building rate, or they skip a year with the application. And now the price has moderated somewhat, and I'm speaking out of turn even saying that, but I just have heard Brian say that. So I'm repeating Brian, but either one of you guys, I'd be interested to hear your comments about skipping an application in the last year, two, three years, and now with a more favorable price, getting back into it. So I guess, Corey, do you go based off a soil test result now, or do you, or if your soil test still uh, recommends maintenance, do you go to the build category? And I may have jumbled that all up too. It's been a while since I looked at a soil test result. With skipping years, and if we can do that, you know, we, we just got to think of it like our, our checkbook. If we're not make, if we're withdrawing and we're not making a deposit, eventually it's going to run out. Growers that have, because of the high prices the last one, two, three years that have, have skipped applications, if they're watching those soil tests and they're dropping... If you're still in that maintenance rate, if it's dropped enough, I would say based on their budgets, uh, what they can afford, we could go into that build uh, phase again while they're down. And this is me totally speaking out of term, but you know, there's maybe some world events going on that could you know put some uncertainty back into some of these prices. So if you can if you can afford it now while prices are down. It wouldn't be a bad time to think about going into a build system if you're low and it's calling for a certain amount. Again, if your budgets can afford it, it, it may not be a bad idea to put, you know, a, a maintenance rate or a half maintenance rate on top of that um, or something to, to try and get a, a little more build. That's what we generally try to do with those is you know when prices are high we just do a, a maintenance scrape by and then when prices are low we try to go into a build and, and get our levels back up brian what's the year-to-year -year price on p and k from 22 to 23 we're doing a lot better now than what we were say a year ago we're our prices are, are a lot lower than they were i mean we hit those highs middle of, of 2022 record highs prices all across the board uh, we've been kind of coming down since then, um, and especially since the beginning of this year, we've seen prices come down quite a bit. We're essentially on, on prices we're where we were right before Russia invaded Ukraine, and that, that kind of threw the whole fertilizer market into, into turmoil because Russia is such a large producer of, of fertilizer in the world, one of the top producers. Uh, and so we kind of had to switch from buying from them, and we were getting from other places, and and. So it just took some time to do those adjustments, but now we've kind of come back down. The good news is also we're, we're seeing pretty strong corn prices still. We're still September futures contracts still above five dollars for for 2024, and so um, those prices are going to are going to help make that profitable, right? We got lower fertilizer prices now. We have pretty decent in corn prices on top of that. So, uh, but going into next year, I mean, a lot of things can can change. Um, the big thing is you know how cold is the winter going to be. 
So, because uh, natural gas price is a big predictor of, of fertilizer prices, um, it, it has a big impact on those prices. So, if we have a really cold winter, people use a lot of natural gas for heating. Uh, we could see those fertilizer prices go up into into the spring, and then your your corn acres, whatever people end up deciding on, on corn acres next year, we could see that impact too. So, we see more corn acres. We usually see fertilizer prices will, will go up as well. Any last kind of closing remarks about fertilizer, fertilizer prices, or planning for 2024, Brian? Something Corey kind of mentioned as well is just if you can sort of pencil in on your budget and look and, and find that you're going to make money, you're going to have a profit, you can lock that in now on, on buying your fertilizer now. I think that's a good idea. I think you should go ahead and buy it. Don't worry about what prices are going to do because Nobody here can, can predict what prices are going to do. There's a lot of things going on that could impact that between now and spring. And so if you can figure out, I'm going to make money now and you can lock it in. My suggestion is go ahead and, and, and do that and don't be you know betting on what prices may or may not do. Corey, any closing points? If you still need to lime, get that out as soon as we can, as, as soon as you can get lime. I'm with Brian. If, if you've penciled it out and you can turn a profit on current fertilizer prices uh go ahead and get that booked pre-bought however you and your your supplier do it that way like you said you know you have it and you know it's there and you're ready for the next year this is a awkward time of the year to, to do a podcast tom on and not this episode but just our podcast in general it's just well, it's, it's an awkward time of the year to come up with topics to talk about and I, I mean i think this is good and if nothing else it keeps it right there in the front of folks mind that the people that are listening to it so we appreciate y'all bearing with us through the fall and winter we try to keep content there and we know we we don't have all of our listeners this time of year and does it through the winter as schedules change and that sort of thing. But we do appreciate all the support that we get from y'all and the kind words. Yeah, Thank y'all for listening. Corey and Brian, we, we appreciate it this morning. It's kind of a crazy time of the year still to be you know running around finishing things in the field and everything else. Tom's got earplugs around his neck, so he's going to go get back on that open. I'm climbing open. back on the one-row plot combine to cut more plots. Does that thing have a cab on it? It does not. Open cab, one-row combine. Which was a sneezing gold mine yesterday afternoon, I promise you. That was awesome. <laughs> and ironically, <laughs> it's not that old. I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> what about it not being that old? Yeah. No, it's not. A one-row open cab combine was purchased with the intent of it being a one-row open cab combine. Well, it is essentially considered a breeder's combine. But still. Just stop before I open a can of worms that we don't need to open on this. Corey and Brian, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate it. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. 